Hey everybody, welcome back to Terminus, the robo-quest of Extreme Metal Podcasts. I am the Death Metal Guy, a.k.a. Slam Wizard, casts Chromatic Scale. <laughs> for the for uh, the old Infinity Engine RPG guys out there. He's, he's been spamming that one for the last six turns. <laughs> it and works. it's working. <laughs> Alright, and I am the Black Metal Guy, a.k.a. Cloaca Fleshlight. <laughs> well, that just <laughs> I mean it seems a little redundant any holds a goal ultimately it's uh but this is two in one. Oh yeah I mean it's 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 versatile you know brought, you usually brought to, you by the, brought to you by the makers of the dragon I'm sure <laughs> we can we can probably pitch that idea to bad dragon and they they'd probably be interested in putting it into production we could get royalties that's that's the way terminus can finally make money that's the first <laughs> that's the first terminus sponsor is bad dragon for all of your your uh, uh fantasy creature sexual needs <laughs> I, mean, I suppose i suppose that's metal adjacent <laughs> I, it's it's adjacent to something. Uh, it's adjacent certainly. to something that metal's adjacent to. I think would be the yeah, yeah, yeah. A, few, a few degrees uh, away. Yes, yeah. All right, so we've got a uh, we've got a a big twenty twenty style episode for you boys at home. We've got four black metal records that are all uh, pretty limited release and pretty underground affairs. Um, so I guess we'll uh, we'll give you a rundown at the top. Uh, you had a good point in the notes. You know these are these are all underground black metal releases, all of which have uh, traces of sort of like reviled things. You know, uh, DSBM, emo, post black, some power and folk metal. But uh, I actually I like all of them this time. So uh, I've got the first two. So uh, real quick, we'll just uh, run them down, bullet point them for you. Uh, we're going to open with the debut record by Guerrero Nomada uh, titled uh, Cuatro Partes del Mundo, which uh, as it stands, I think is still independent. I'm sure this will get picked up for a vinyl release by somebody at one point. Uh, this is a project, a one-man project out of uh, Joliet, Illinois, uh, the sort of follow-up to a project called Witch's Forest, uh, which does uh, sort of Mexican nationalist black metal with a flair for the emo and traditional heavy metal in a way that's really unique. Uh, next up is the debut record of The Color of Rain, uh, titled Oceans Above, out on Void Wanderer Productions. And anyone who knows that label knows that this is another project in the Zvate Kring Collective out of the Netherlands, uh, of which many projects we've covered on the show, including Asgrau, Meslamtea, Sagenland, and Shavat. Uh, those are just the ones we've covered on the show previously, but there's a bunch more. Uh, and The Color of Rain is sort of the... Sorry. One, one thing to add, it's the Hedens, so like Void Wanderer is a newer label, uh, Hedens Heart is the other associated label. Yeah, oh. um, anyway, you know, the, the Dutch scene, uh, you know, they all work very closely together, but I, I guess Void Wanderer is sort of the, the slightly more urban one, and then Hedens mm -hmm. Heart mm -hmm. is the more rural one. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is basically Zvate Kring's pitch for a post-black metal band. Although defining that is interesting, and I'm sure we'll have a lot to say when we get to the actual review. All right. And next up, we've got 
a band that we've already checked in once, checked in with once, if not twice. It's Kampfesvut, uh, and this is um, this is the second full length, and uh, his last one was co-released on Old Mill. Uh, it w- had an interesting combination of uh, sort of. I guess it was pagan black metal, but with a ton of direct folk metal influence, uh, and um, also had some um, fortifying metalcore tendencies we both liked. So we'll be checking out where that project has gone. It's a one man. And uh, after that, we'll be getting to a a new challenger. This is Forest Thrall, uh, who the the main member of this band, or the, the one official member, uh, is apparently also in a band called Vengeance Sorcery with the guy from uh, Nile Invocation, who mm-hmm. we have reviewed. So it, it's connected to a band that's already been on Terminus um, and uh, is part of a New England black metal scene in general. Uh, and it's, it's, it's American outlaw rock that is uh, very foresty. Um, yeah. And- <laughs> Forest, foresty indeed. Yeah. So, uh, all right. So we, we've, if you know, you've been listening for a while, you've realized, yes, we've started doing rundowns again. Uh, we figured some people expect it. So we just did it. Now we have a few other things we would like to, uh, other items to point out. Yeah. So, uh, big one, uh, that we want to plug. Uh, so, uh, a couple of weeks ago now we did sort of a, uh, a surprise new format for Terminus where we did our first ever Terminus live stream. Uh, we didn't really announce it on the show prior, uh, but we announced it to all of the people in our Discord, and if you want access to the Terminus Black Circle, we'll teach you how in just a little bit. But uh, our sort of soft launch went really well. It seems like uh, all you guys that were there for it really enjoyed it, and uh, now this is us sort of going public with it officially. So, Uh, These are going to be semi-regular affairs uh, based on our planned schedule. We were looking at around every six weeks, but I mean, we can definitely say that the next one will be our Terminus Omega end of the year list, which we have decided to turn into a live affair. So if any of you weirdos uh, around the turn of the new year would like to hang out with a couple metal autists and talk about our favorite records of the year, we'd love to have you along. Uh, as those are coming up, we're going to be promoting them so you know, uh, you know, date and time for them. Those will obviously vary a little bit just given our sort of hectic schedules. But uh, if you guys weren't able to make it last time, let's try to get more people in. Uh, we try to interact with the chat as much as we can. And uh, it's, it was really a lot of fun. It was a lot more fun than I expected. Uh, beyond that... Uh, when we were talking about the aforementioned Terminus Black Circle. There's a couple ways that you guys can support us. Uh, One is by following us on social media. You can follow me, the death metal guy, on Facebook, at Terminus Podcast, or you can follow the black metal guy on Instagram, at Terminus Extreme Metal. And additionally, for access to uh, prior mentioned Black Circle, you can also support us on Patreon, where $3 and up gets you access to the Terminus Prime bonus episodes, and $5 and up gets you access to our private Discord server, where we are constantly comparing our favorite Les Lesions Noir tapes, as well as our favorite anime waifus. So for merely $5 a month, you can get access to the very best 
<laughs> Best. My, my wife who is Vorsnaborf. I messed that one up. <laughs> my, <laughs> we, we got... <laughs> my my wife who is just a, a greater lich from the the, uh, the necropolis city and heroes of might and magic three this is josh from defeated sanity and you're listening to terminus extreme metal podcast all right first up to the plate is actually a patron submission uh, not sure if he wants his name shared, but uh, this is a guy who's uh, submitted a few things for us to review on the show. Uh, one that springs to mind was the Gates of Dawn record that we covered mm-hmm. uh, either earlier this year or last year. Oh, I think that was last year. But um, this guy, I've come to consider sort of <laughs> our our correspondent with like Zoomer Instagram black metal. He he digs through all of these releases, finds the worthwhile ones, and feeds them to us. That's a and good point. Yeah. It, in this case, he's done really well. Uh, so, like I said up front, this is the debut record by Guerrero Nomada, titled Cuatro Partes del Mundo, an independent release, but this will almost surely get uh, get snapped up by somebody. Uh, so, Guerrero Nomada, which I believe is like a nomadic or wandering warrior, uh, not to be confused with Guerrero Nomada, which is what they called me when I was homeless in Tijuana for a while. Um, so, this is the uh, follow-up project to Witch's Forest, which I'm not familiar with. Um, but this is a really interesting record. So, Guerrero Nomada... Uh, trades in a lot of stuff that's very trendy now. Um, It has the uh, scratchy, deliberately lo-fi digital production you're hearing from a lot of Instagram black metal. Um, It has the sort of indigenous or Mexican nationalist bent that a lot of bands are going for. Um, And of course, it's just sort of an auteur, uh, weirdo, hermetic, one-man project. Um, all of these things throw up red flags for us, typically. Uh, there's a lot of projects that are sort of cut from similar cloth to this, which uh, simply aren't interesting to us on any sort of musical level. Uh, this project, though, is different, and I'm actually pleasantly surprised by just how good this is. Um this is a record that, again, trades in a lot of the musical qualities of some of those other similar projects. Uh, a lot of the melodies here are rooted in sort of uh, post-Seigneur Valand guitar style that's extremely popular with sort of Zoomer black metal these days. Um, there's a lot of influence from uh, emo and post-punk stuff uh, littering these songs, but Overall, uh, these are dense and pretty intricate black metal tracks that portray a guy with a much more sophisticated touch than a lot of his contemporaries. Um, This is not the sort of thing that strikes you immediately as so much more sophisticated than other bands, but after you've listened to it a couple times and you start to realize just how detail-oriented this guy's songwriting process is, you realize that you've you've actually run into something kind of special. Um, I really like the sort of, uh, I like the way this guy is able to use uh, emo chord phrasing to make distinctly black metal riffs. I like the intrusion of more hard rock and traditional heavy metal guitar ideas. Uh, I don't know. This is just a, a very well-rounded and dynamic record, and I'm excited to hear more material from this guy. Uh, it seems like he's really on to something 
much more substantial than a lot of people in the same general territory. Uh, Black Metal Guy, what, what do you think of Guerrero Nomada? Yeah, well, this is, like you said, with something described in this way, uh, there's a great risk of it being just bandwagon music. Mm -hmm. um, and it certainly is not. I'm also pleasantly surprised by it. I think this is really good. Yeah. Uh, it, it might be, I mean, I don't know, the year-end top 20 this year is going to be fucking crowded. But like, This is, this is going to be tough this year. Yeah. But this could sneak up there. It's extreme. It's just really good. Um, to add to what you said about the detail, um, it's like he doesn't, there is no opportunity he doesn't take. That, yeah, it's that very dense. Mean, that doesn't mean it's like overcrowded or even sort of horror vacui in terms of how it's produced. Um, ooh, my girlfriend brought me a michelada. Um, <laughs> Appropriate. Keeping it Mexican nationalist. Yeah, all right. Um... Yeah, the um, uh, a big old frosty frosty pint of ancestral warrior strength, um, <laughs> and uh, the so, but what I was gonna say, he doesn't. It's not busy, and it doesn't have the kind of every possible space filled feeling that some bands deliberately go for, like Mongrel's Cross brings to mind. It, it it's more just that. Anytime there's a place where, like, you could in your head hum a cool lead part over it, mm -hmm. it's actually there. Right? Yeah. Or, or anytime, um, yeah, he does not miss an opportunity. Uh, and like you said, um, it's kind of cool hearing a bunch of, I mean, the emo tendency in this modern outlaw rock and sort of indigenous or let's, you know, Aztec or Indian solar metal. Saying indigenous is so silly, um, but the uh, um, this the tendency in this stuff towards emo is, uh, as you well know, the tendency I like the least. Um, and this really sounds like emo, mm -hmm. um, and in part I think because he's not accidentally falling into it, he is embracing it and using it. It really works. Uh, and those parts are some of the highlights. Uh, um, what else? You know, I mean, in a field that's basically dominated by Makuahito at this point, um, it's remarkable that this doesn't sound remotely like Makuahito, even though they yeah. probably like a lot of the same records. Uh, and although, you know, this guy's never, this guy will never have the same sort of. Uh, romantic flamenco guitar mastery that Makuahito does um, it it one-ups him in certain respects which is that this is way more barbaric yeah Makuahito paradise there are parts that you can really hear as I mean like there are parts you can really hear as sounding kind of Aztec especially the parts that are more like the Black Twilight bands mm -hmm. um, but overall it really sounds kind of Spanish um, mm -hmm. and you, you hear a uh, sort of, you hear that working really well in Gregorio Cortez or whatever, right? When you're dealing with, you know, Spanish, Spanishized, uh, Mexicans. Um, mm -hmm. but the, um, this music, despite in some ways drawing more, more on very modern sounds like emo and DSBM sounds primordial. Uh, and there's a lot of direct hardcore influence in it. And a 
physicality and rhythmic dynamism uh, that uh, sets it apart. So uh, it it's sensitive and lyrical, but it also is convincingly archaeo-Mexican. Um, yeah. I yeah. think I think one of the big distinguishing features here if, if, going along that that sort of contrast to Maquahitl, which is that uh, you know Maquahitl is oriented in some sense more closely with those sort of post senor Valand ideas or sort of Vothana core ideas of like high spiraling lead guitar uh high speed high density uh speed picking Guerrero Nomada tends to operate more at a mid-pace. It's a little bit more laid back and relaxed. And this comes out with some of the, the rockisms and the traditional heavy metalisms that set this... Those are probably the features that set this most apart from a lot of the contemporary Instagram black metal bands. Um, I think that this guy's guitar style, uh, despite operating in very different keys and modes, has a lot to do with uh, Galal in GBK. Um, and there's also some stuff that just sound like sort of like direct Sabbathisms or thin Lizzieisms, mm -hmm. and it's interesting that all of those things work together so well. And it's also just interesting to hear a band in this mode opt for this sort of like relax, uh, relaxed, free flowing sort of cruising cadence to the music. You know, this is emotionally fraught music. But in terms of how it's executed, it's done with a very confident and relaxed hand. And I, I think that juxtaposition is something really interesting that sets it apart. For sure. Well, uh, let's get to the samples. Yeah. So uh, everybody, pardon my pronunciation. I have not spoken Spanish regularly in many years, so I'm going to struggle a little bit with pronunciation. But I'm going to go to a track called... Uh, Querrao, excuse me, Querrawa Peri, uh, Nuestra Madre y Padre. Um, so we're going to open here with uh, a, a, a sort of straightforward kind of DSBM riff that brings Life Lover to mind, but we're pretty immediately going to get into more unique sort of Sabbath-derived territory. Um, these songs tend to be a little bit on the longer side, around like six to seven minutes typically, and... Uh, he does a lot with that time. Things are given the opportunity to breathe, but these songs are also composed of a lot of riffs, a lot of micro variations, and a lot of the density that we were talking about before. So let's check this out. And <laughs> when I, somebody in the comments tell me where, when this little lead drops in, what that is from, I want to say it's something off like Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath, but maybe one of you guys can help me out. Yeah. 
So uh, this is a cool section because you get to hear him working through sort of all of his standard modes in a sequence. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're opening with um, that sort of life lover riff, very, very punk or post-punk, but very downcast and gray. Then we drop into this really cool lead-oriented part, and that little lead lick, again, I swear it's coming off of sort of proggy Sabbath with that sort of pentatonic turnaround at the bottom of the run. Um, That's really neat, especially against that sort of like uh, glimmering... Uh, sort of magla arpeggio in the background on the clean guitar. Then uh, we pop into something that is actually another through line through most of the records we're going to talk about, a sort of like American melodic metalcore passage. Um, Almost sounds like something that Winterfilleth would do at their most metalcore moments. Uh, I really like the contrast between the high lead and that that pulsing uh, palm muted guitar in the left channel. And then it gets iterated upon further. Um, All of these riffs are very organically, melodically linked with each other, but expressed in these very different manners. It's like a little sampler platter of what Guerrero Nomada can do. And I think that he did it deliberately, and there's something charming. It's demonstrative, but it's executed really well. And I like him just sort of like showing off cool composition tricks for a couple minutes, you know? (laughs) Yeah, this track does have a bit of a... um, You're right, now that you say that. This track does... It's an impressive track with cool parts, but it definitely feels a little like a grab bag. Mm -hmm. You don't get the sort of focus until the the tracks after that um but it's it's very entertaining and it's got great parts um the uh what you saying about the american metalcore part uh yeah that juxtaposition of like the duh, 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 duh of the chug the simple chug and that mm-hmm. i mean that really is a very metalcore thing and the tonality and the general idea but the specific chug is almost too primitive to be metalcore uh and it reminds me, I think both of the sort of, I don't know, like Sabbath or Manila Road, like you mentioned, but also, mm-hmm. um, well, yeah, also, I guess, later Epic Doom stuff. You know, that's the kind of thing you yeah. might hear in, you might hear a slightly more complex variant on that and something like, uh, um, you know, and something like a Solstice tune, an early Solstice tune, or... A British doom death or something like that. It's it's downbeat heavy in a way you don't usually get with slower black metal stuff, and of course it has the chugs. Uh, there's something that sounds a lot like it in the very cool intro track to uh, Odell's best album, um, which is um, what is that? Of course it's going to escape me for a second, but those of you who have heard it will know. Um, and uh, uh, but but it's 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 interesting. Basically, it's a way of doing chug stuff that is uh, sort of basic enough to pass muster as a black metal gesture in this kind of more um, uh, primitivist black metal. Um, uh-huh. And it uh, it really is the Guerrero Nomada riff that is nobody else uses that kind of da 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 da. Riff. Nobody, mm-hmm. nobody else does that consistently. He does it all over the record. So it's pretty cool that on the debut, at least from this first specific project, he's already got a signature riff. Uh, 
And, you know, it's nothing fancy. It's just, again, seeing an opportunity where nobody else saw it. Um, it's kind of a march, right? It, on, mm-hmm. on, that, on that Odal record, you hear something like this working as a march, which is an uncommon... Ca- a true march is kind of an uncommon cadence in black metal, unless it's like the sort of... Yeah, the rolling 6-8. Right. He, he really sort of... Um, uh, and it could have the kind of broken momentum of certain march phrases in music. Uh, it could sound kind of halting because it stops at the end. Mm-hmm. But he does a good job of making sure that doesn't happen, in part because of the continuous movement in the leads. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's also accessing, you know, the 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 most hardcore and the most emo parts of melodic metalcore from the U.S. It, it, it's accessing, you know, the the sort of climactic um, crying while moshing moments of the best screamo stuff. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. Um, so um, let me get to another one uh, where he's going to really start pulling on those strings of, like, modern emo black metal ideas. Um this is off the next track, uh, Hermosa Zaratanga, Zaratanga, I believe. Um, and this is just a, a, a couple minutes of two different riffs that are really striking, highly detailed takes on modern emo black stuff, uh, but with an emphasis on sort of atypical rhythmic subdivisions. This guy's got a really strong right hand, um, and... He's got a really good sense of how to use unusual rhythmic configurations to elevate relatively conventional melodic ideas. And honestly, I just wanted to play this because I think this is my favorite song on the record and it's just really fucking cool.
So yeah, that's a, that's essentially just a a two riff sample, but I love both of the riffs. Uh, the first one is a a wonderful sort of like brazen emo riff that also sounds kind of like an anime soundtrack melody, just mm-hmm. um, stripped down and delivered more directly in a black metal idiom. And we've talked on the show a few times about how a lot of this like modern insta black stuff is like has a lot to do with Japanese music and with like anime and video game soundtracks. And that can be really good or that can be really bad. In this case, it's really good. Uh, and then the second riff, um, that forms like 60% of the sample is just this simple strident climbing march rhythm thing that gets iterated upon by this series of leads that uh, the riff ends up sort of like unconsciously contorting around. Um, mm. The leads oh, end up yeah. recontextualizing that very simple riff in different in different sort of emotional ways. You know, it's when it's presented up front, it's a stern sort of post-Graveland riff. You start putting in some of these aching melodic solos, all of a sudden that riff has a sort of like sad, resolute quality and, to it. It's, and he it's wonderful. It differently. Yeah, um, he's, he plays as, with the mute pattern. He drops in, he's He's doing more of the half mute. Yeah, it's um, it, it's really good. This guy, um, this guy has a really wonderful sense of um, when he can juice a riff, how he can do it, how he can create multiple contexts for a single riff. It's just it's it's really sophisticated songwriting that you don't usually hear from a project like this, and I I, I really like it a lot. Regarding that riff, I mean, that soaring riff at the beginning just is obviously the best riff on the record. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. So beautiful. Um, One thing you could say about this guy in general is he has a, it's sort of an ineffable thing. And, you know, we can sort of disagree about this or that band, but this guy has a really good ear um, for for melody and for how to find rhythmic space within a melody and just where to add something, a note or a little turn in the most effective way possible. Mm-hmm. That's on full display in that riff. It's, it's so, so elegant. Um, and, you know, it's riffs like that that make riff, so many riffs that attempt to sound like that trash. Um, and the uh, there's a funny parallel there. I mean, is it... I hear what you mean about it being a full-on emo riff, but wouldn't in in terms of the interval choices, but would an emo band ever write a melody that long? Uh, I don't think um, I don't think it would be present. I think you'd have all the same notes, but they'd probably just it would they'd pop up in a much shorter period of time, or maybe a longer period of time. As in, it, it could be just a chord progression. Yeah, this is this uh, is a case where the sort of like the sort of grid-written thing that you usually dislike is sort of advantageous because it places it directly with an established black metal idiom, even though, like, the cording and the interval choices are purely coming out of emo. Well, it doesn't feel grid-written to me because of the, uh... There's, like, motion in the melody. There, Then the, the phrases and the... the it's, it's not statically locked onto a beat. I mean, what, what, what do you mean exactly? Oh, just that, you know, all, all the um, all the notes are coming in these, like, very comfortable sort of quarter note and half note arrangements. You know, it's not really speeding up or slowing down apart from at the very end where he oh. moves into those eighth note figures. 
I see what you mean. I think that's, I'm not against that because that just gives it a kind of smoothness, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, my favorite, one of my favorite riffs, Krieg by Gorgoroth, is just brutally straight eighth notes the entire time. Yeah. Um, what I would say is, instead of just sounding like, what, what there is is meaning, like, uh, distinct variation in the lengths of the notes over the course of the melody in ways that change it in cool ways. Oh, okay. So it starts out as a prolonged note thing, but they're being held... Yeah. It, it, it has some... Um, they're, they're being held for slightly different lengths, and there's it's it's long enough that there's a real shape to it, and then it, it sort of develops. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, no, I, and, I understand. And, and it's played with a... It's this riff aspire... Riffs like these that are grid-written still aspire to a flowing motion, which you partly get from how each note sets the next up, and partly you get from the plane... And he has the ear to have the notes really create a sense of compelling motion, and he has the wrist to, uh, and the, the sense of rhythm to make it not just, to, to make it, uh, to, to actually make it flow. Basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, we, we're, we're getting technical now because this issue will come back later in the show. Um, the, uh, but um, it's, but I, I guess I maybe I was I was quibbling because your broader point makes sense to me that like there's a general form for a black metal riff that he has accessed there mm-hmm. right he's taken intervals that are very different stuck in that form what I would say it would does sound like is Algeon mm, okay do you remember them Algeon we, or wait, wait wait am I even remembering the name right it's the remember when we reviewed that crazy uh, crazy anomalous record from Sweden uh, oh, oh, the really old one where they did the and you, reissue. And what you said was something like, this completely like blows up my timeline of black metal. It, it, there were other bands doing elaborate uh, melodic stuff at that time, but what they did, I think what, what their stuff really anticipates is it just sounds like serious black metal that's laced with emo and metalcore. Yeah, um, yeah. And it's like and way too early they, on the timeline. Yes, and it also has these crazy long melodies that are sort of, I guess, sentimental in a sense, but extremely solemn. Yeah. And th- this feels like that. But there's another comparison I want to make. If, if you're done talking about... Do you have anything more? Because I've got another. No, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Um, so, we're get, there's one band, despite these comparisons we're making... I don't know if this is an actual influence at all, but there's one band that Guerrero Nomada reminds me of, or one set of bands, more than any other, and those are the ones on colloquial sound recordings. So Damien Masters' label, uh, which has his project A Pregnant Light, and the the anonymous project uh, Dressed in Streams. And uh, these are... in, In a sense, I mean... Yeah, the Dressed in Streams connection might make sense to people because it's sort of uh, Indian Indian nationalist uh, black metal with drawing on many of the same streams of pagan BM, but a lot more Slavic. Uh, and A Pregnant Light is 
Screamo essentially, but Screamo built with black, very serious black metal architecture and technology um, and played at that level of intensity. Uh, so, so much so that maybe it comes around to being a weird kind of black metal. Um, but there are musical ideas that are just very similar. So one cool thing about that passage is, so he does the um, build up thing, sort of uh, pulsed chug build riffs like that are all over both, you know, Broken Play by Pregnant Light, especially on tracks like Baby Chain, you get them. And also very common on the uh, um, Dressed in Streams record. Uh, mm -hmm. It's something that crops up in both bands, um, and is coming from similar sources, I'm sure, in like you know metalcore, uh, and um, uh, and and then there's another thing that happens over it, which you've already called a lot of attention to, which is the shredding heavy metal riffing that comes yeah. in over that build up riff, right, transforming it. Um, that stuff is very heavy metal, but it also sounds even with the squealing pinch harmonics, fits into the emo world perfectly, right? It's like a... Because it's the kind of heavy metal that makes it into metalcore and screamo, you know? So, I mean, my name for it would be like emo guitar heroics. Yeah. So here's a sample from uh, A Pregnant Light's Broken Play that has both some really tight palm-muted riffs, although they're more straight-up thrashing in this song, and then some insane emo guitar heroics. I sampled, yeah, I've sampled this elsewhere, but probably a lot of people will be hearing it for the first time.
So it just keeps going for a while at least. Um, and, you know, no emo band has ever done anything that metal in terms of guitar leads, but if you've listened to enough emo and metalcore, what he's doing there is very familiar, right? Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's a sort of like... It's like an imagined past of um, how metalcore might have taken shape, yeah. if that makes any sense. It's like the, the proximity of all those things, the sort of like... Uh, the sort of emo courting and the the direct thrashy stuff up front and the sort of guitar pyrotechnic stuff toward the end all could have come together mm. back in 2003, but they never really did in that shape. That's a really good point. Yeah, it, it is. In, in a way, all the component ingredients for metalcore are in a pregnant light plus some black metal. But yeah, it's... Yeah, this I like that alternate reality metalcore. The closest you get is probably a band like Three Inches of Blood or maybe Skeleton mm -hmm. Witch. Although actually, beginning. what's interesting is toward the end there, all mm -hmm. with the more pyrotechnic guitar yeah. stuff, that also like some of that stuff on Quarrero sounds a lot like anime soundtrack stuff or directly from like X Japan and that that milieu of bands. Could be something like X Japan or Gast. I think more likely for this guy would be Gastunk. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's a few years older than me. I doubt he watches. I doubt he is into anime. Um, but the, uh, um, but like, yes, there is for sure got to be. There's speed metal references there, also Bathory. But um, the, uh, yeah, so it 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 feels. But I hear you that it feels kind of anime or Japanese in the way a bunch of emo shit does. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, it's. Um, so yeah, it, it has it sounds different from what we just sampled in Guerrero, but it has all the same ideas, uh, and and you know even even in the previous sample, there's like a a lilting falling off melody that sounds like part of part of another track, Unbroken Play. So it's a uh, there's a real parallel to it. You, other people who've listened to the last couple of Dresden Streams releases can probably hear it. Uh, but yeah, so following this thread, um, the thing that really marks Guerrero as a, a really skilled, like first-rate songwriter is uh, the way he turns these influences back towards black metal, whether he does it with that riff, that epic trem riff you, were, you sampled, or, or whether he does it in a different, more aggressive way. Um, so on later on Hermosa Zaratanga, um, after we get I think like another round of the trem riff, uh, he changes it up in a pretty neat way. He, this is like he takes the uh, he takes the emo guitar heroics and pushes it further so that it becomes something very different.
pitch harmonic chug riff was absolutely my favorite part on the record. When I heard that, I could not believe it. I, I, I was so stoked. Um, and that's the things we have already have, right? We have the uh, Guerrero Nomada uh, march. And we have this element of shred that he's all, already introduced in this more emo way. And he brings them together and it hits like, I don't know, the most brutal, like, the most brutal Peaceville Doom riff you've ever heard or or just metalcore, like Zibalba or something. Or it's just, I, I mean, just that, that pinch harmonic thing is also just sort of like the the heaviest, boldest NWO BHM thing, too. Yeah, but with the chug. Yeah, yeah, it would be it would be way more uh, thin sounding on mm-hmm. one of those sort of '80s NWO BHM records, and it wouldn't be that exaggerated and slow yeah. because Celtic Frost wasn't around yet. But you could get something almost <laughs> like it. Okay, yeah, I hear that, and the um, and the overall feel though is extremely black metal. Um, and there's one of the places where it goes full, uh, um, full archaic warrior mode. Um, that's a very barbaric riff. Um, it's really cool. Also, a thing I said about the last sample I meant to say before, or I meant to say for this one, there's even even over that crazy pinch riff, he starts doing this, mm-hmm. this sort of falling melody. That falling melody sounds a lot like stuff off of A Pregnant Light, like Baby Chain. But yeah. Um, yeah, so he brings the sentimental stuff back in, but the feeling is very different. Um, and then he locks into another chug riff that he just keeps going on. Another thing I like is that, you know, he, he's good at, he knows when he's got something good. Yeah. No, it's, a, he, this guy is, um, the, these songs are built out of, a, a relatively small handful of distinct riffs, but a nearly unlimited array of variations and additional leads providing more variation. These, these are songs built out of both three riffs and 30 riffs. This is a little one gash, and you're listening to Terminus. All right, we are back, uh, and... This time with the new project of some good friends of the show, the Zvate Kring Collective from uh, the Netherlands. Uh, this is the debut record by The Color of Rain, titled Oceans Above, released, of course, on Void Wanderer Productions, which is sort of the in-house label of uh, this collective. You said it's the vocalist from Asgrau that runs this, I believe? Um, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Okay, so The Color of Rain is a project uh, composed of uh, Gerhans on guitar, who's apparently the primary songwriter, who seems to be a relatively new guy to this collective. Uh, the drummer, bassist, and synth player is Floris of uh, Meslamtea and Asgrau, and you know he's one of the central figures of the scene. And the vocalist is a guy named Devi, who is in Titan, uh, which I haven't heard, but is apparently also this collective. You know Titan? Not at all. Okay, maybe that's something we'll have to look into. It's spelled like the Titan in Titan Blood. Yeah, yeah. So, um, Oceans Above is the record, and this has been openly advertised by these guys as a post-black metal record, which is interesting, and 
you know, I kind of want to talk about that for a second. Um, a lot of the stuff that Floris in particular has been involved in has brushed up against post-black. Um, Meslamtea, for example, is a project that I think a lot of people would call post-black metal, but that's really a sort of kitchen sink project that's very interested in emo and hardcore and jazz in places, as well as a lot of straight up black metal. Um, the Color of Rain is certainly shaped a lot like what you would conventionally think of as post-black, but in my mind, that would involve sort of ceding unnecessary territory to post-black, because I, I don't think any of the constituent elements here couldn't necessarily be on a straightforward black metal record. Um, so while this does resemble post-black in the broad strokes of uh, the way some of these melodies are arranged, um, some of the, the affect of the production with its very glassy lead tone, um, these guys are in a sense a little bit too good at writing black metal to create a straight post-black record, at least to my ear. So what these come off as, to me, are more like uh, songs that are a a relatively pure fusion of like modern melodic black metal technique and 2000s American metalcore. Um, if you can think of sort of the the biggest, most vast and atmospheric moments of more forward thinking metalcore bands of the 2000s and alongside that incorporate a very streamlined melodic black metal style, maybe in the sense of Magla, maybe in the sense of other bigger stuff that we're just not that familiar with, um, you'll get something around this territory. Uh, so while this isn't my favorite thing that I've heard from this collective, I did enjoy this a lot, and I think it's really fun for a bunch of guys like this to basically take post-black and beat it at its own game just by making a pretty cool black metal record. So uh, uh, what did you think of this one? It's post-black. <laughs> um, uh, I, I think I see what you mean about it being you could make it just from black metal parts, but... And there are certainly things on here that are real black metal riffs um, that speak to the uh, backgrounds of the players, right? Um, mm -hmm. It just feels to me like in the sum of those parts, it 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 it, it, it sort of it walks like post black, it quacks like post black, it's post black. Fair, um, okay. It's. It, the the feel is and if you take early 2000s metalcore and combine it with streamlined melodic black metal that's like arguably how to make post black um, or at least a kind of it mm -hmm. uh, I mean I, I think another thing I was thinking about like you mentioned certain progress in the notes you mentioned certain a possible source for this being certain prog BM bands that we don't listen to that much, but that you know better than me, right? Mm -hmm. So you were just saying before the show, maybe stuff like Flurity, but in the notes you mentioned Ved One's End. Yeah. Why not just say that that stuff anticipates post-black? Even can... though it's coming out of prog rock and it's more musically substantial and all of that. I mean, I think that's fair. I think that it in... I think that in some sense it probably does anticipate post-black, but from what I understand, none of the post-black bands are listening to no, any of that stuff. That's a fair point. It sure as hell didn't influence it. Okay, and, let, and let's 
And let's also bear in mind that one of our primary arguments regarding post-black on the show is that it is in a large part a, a sort of aesthetic rebranding of DSBM. Um, so let us let us never allow our, the territory of DSBM to be encroached upon by the post-black hordes. You know, <laughs> weird nerds in their basement had this territory before, and again it shall be. We are revanchists for DSBM on Terminus. <laughs> I, 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 okay, I agree with you about all that. So I guess what I'd say, my argument for being post-black is simply that, like, the basic tactics of songwriting, although they might be coming from different places, are just very similar, and the overall mood is similar. That's um, fair. Yeah, I mean, this is definitely shooting for that audience. Uh, yeah, I mean, aesthetically, with this sort of, like, brightly colored nautical aesthetic and everything, mm -hmm. which I think is cool, but it's it's definitely reaching. I mean, that looks like a, a cool album cover for uh, an emo metalcore band in a Hot Topic in 2005. Yeah, so we were talking about this before. I, the way I would describe this is guys who really know what they're doing deciding to make a record the algorithm will like just for fun. Yeah. Um, this really, the cover looks like one of those quote-unquote atmospheric black metal records that are actually post-black that the algorithm loves. Um, and the music sounds like that. The difference is that um, instead of the deeply impoverished musical background that produces most of this stuff, which is like, you know, third-hand post-rock post and third-hand black metal mixed by teenagers who miraculously now have more money than either of us just from streaming revenue. Um, <laughs> the, uh, um, these guys are serious black metal and post-punk and whatever musicians, right? Meslamtea is also, in a sense, post-black, but it's that kind of post... It's that way we use the term for, like, this is what the term should mean. Yeah. Right? Like, if this were a sort of serious avant-garde kind of thing coming out of black metal, Meslamtea sounds like that, as does, in a different way, I don't know, you could say a pregnant light is post-black, or you could say... Uh, um, Laster, also, I think, from the Netherlands. Is or even, black, like, like McGlaw is, in a sense, yeah. post-black, yeah. Yes, but this is, like, for sure. And certainly things influenced by them heavily are. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, this has... It's got that tinkly guitar tone. It's got riffs designed to foreground the tinkly guitar tone. Um, it's got arpeggio... You know, a certain kind of broken arpeggio playing that you could get from goth, but that sounds to me like the proggiest emo stuff, like genty stuff. Um, I don't know. It's th Those are the things to me. Uh, but I'm going to start us off with uh, a track from the beginning called Corrosion of the Flesh, which um, is, is, is some pretty cool. Like, basically, I enjoy this. It has some cool parts. Here's a riff that is very uh, curvy sword, but not in a cliche way. And it actually is, is cool. <laughs>
morning tram riff, isn't it? Yeah, it's, I mean that's that's fun. It, it's kind of like a behemoth riff. I was gonna I was gonna say if you didn't say I was like oh there's there's a lot of behemoth in here like a lot of this record operates in a sort of sophisticated pastiche I think mm-hmm. like when we say it's a behemoth riff they know that it's the behemoth riff when they write and play it you know <laughs> for sure um, but it's done very skillfully so one cool thing about that is the speaking of what is and isn't grid written one cool thing about that is although they're all very long drawn out intervals the emphasis each note ends in a different place from where you'd expect it to or Mm -hmm. starts earlier than you'd expect it to and not in a way that makes it sound random or herky-jerky but in a way that gives a real sort of coiling alive push and pull to it yeah um it's very neat lots of tension um and it's sort of cutting against that double pedal stuff. Um, and so, but the other thing it reminds me of is a band that is that is essentially Behemoth plus Migla, mm-hmm. which is Sulfur Aeon. Mm. Um, no band, it's hard to think of a band that has won the algorithm so completely. Uh, <laughs> if you were on YouTube looking for black metal between I don't know or death metal or anything between like I don't know 2014 or 15 and now you have seen the co- the awesome cover of the first Sulfur Aeon album so many fucking times um, and you know some giant Lovecraftian squid thing with other Lovecraftian squid things oh that, that one by it. It's I, an amazing I, cover. I've never clicked on it, but yeah, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> yes, I, I also exercised self-control. Um, however, I listened to their second record for some reason, um, and, you know, it's it's not bad, right? Compared to... It, it is basically Behemoth plus Migla, and the Migla riffs are just a little more like this kind of... The Migla-type riffs are more droney and have more of this uh, sort of Eastern scale, dissonant Eastern scale thing. Uh-huh. And so the general vibe they go for is, let's say, pop Lovecraftian. Okay. Right? It ain't Portal, but it elicits sort of the fun version of the similar thing, right? Uh, and it's, uh, you know, it, it's extremely commercial, but, like, I don't hate it. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like... I've listened to it and enjoyed it. Um, and as far as things... But you could really basically call Sulphur Aeon one of the heaviest tinkly post-black bands. <laughs> um, it, or just the heaviest tinkly post... It, it is a post-black band, essentially. It's just influenced by death metal and really heavy. Uh, and so this is... Um, that's a that that's a presence I feel here that and that this is this another thing you could say is the color of rain is very much like this kind of euro metal, right? Uh, yeah, could be popular at a euro festival and sulfur aeon feels very euro to me. Um, uh, but yeah, and then then the other cool thing worth pointing out is they've got that kind of oceanic. Uh, which I take your point that's not a post-black riff nobody could do that who writes down the line post-black what it is is does sound like his Mastodon oh yeah it kind of does doesn't it or maybe Vedwen's End or whatever but so it's like more of a real prog metal riff Mm -hmm. but they hit that and that's only the part one of the riff because the B part of the riff is this sort of racing very quick racing short sequence of basically epic sliding black metal chords and it 
basically they're like Senior Volant chords, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're just used as this. Uh, they always use chords like that throughout this record. The things we'd recognize as those chords, the ones that make it sound epic. Um, they use them throughout the record to punctuate moments in an interesting way. There are a few riffs that focus on them more, but basically you get just like these workmanlike stripped down versions of modern modern black metal riffing that uh, peak out at pivotal moments. Yeah, and I think that um, I I think that maybe one of the things that makes this most interesting to me is how when you break a lot of these ideas down, they are like you said, sort of workmanlike black metal ideas. Um, mm-hmm. It's uh, I, let me let me go to my next sample and we'll point out some of that. So here's where I'll I'll sort of adjust the thing about it being post black again in that. Yes, while this does bear a lot of aesthetic resemblance to Post Black, what's interesting is these songs are like extremely straightforward structurally. Um, Post Black songs tend to be arranged uh, structurally like post rock songs. They are a, a perpetually developing crescendo. Um, but these are like pretty straightforward black metal songs structurally. These are A, B, A, B, C, D, A, B type song structures. Um, so let's go to the title track, Oceans Above, in the opening, and we'll pick out some of that as well as some some more like fun parts where some of the sort of mainstream metal and metal adjacent stuff uh, comes to play.
All right, so we we open with that that little pretty straightforward post black intro section, but then we dive into that blast phrase, the 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 main verse riff. Now the uh, the sort of uh, glassy uh, speed pick trem lead there is something that you would kind of hear in other post-black bands, but it's really used as a part of the riff. It's a looping structure. It's not just like one um, uh, perpetually escalating melodic line in the post-black style. It is uh, conforming to the grid of the riff itself. Then when we get into that sort of pointillistic tap and slide clean section, that's really pulling more from stuff like Tool and uh, especially Animals as Leaders, and maybe even like uh, some sort of gent-adjacent stuff like Periphery, more than stuff in mainline extreme metal. Um, this is a, a, a super modern record that wants to play around with all the tools that have been created in the past 10 or 15 years in this corner of music. And I think it pulls it off pretty well. And I think that... Hearing all these techniques applied to these more conventional sort of rock style song structures is cool. These songs are all punchy. They're all four or five minutes long while they're indulging in these sort of uh, these these vast like kind of inherently pretentious musical ideas. They're conforming it to these compact song structures that make them a lot more, I don't know, workmanlike and sort of rough and tumble, despite how twinkly they can be. Uh, I think if there is a way to execute a lot of these ideas, this is the format that makes them the most appealing to me. I never need to hear another 12-minute post-black song, but if you can do like a five-minute abridged version of it, that might be something I want to keep coming back to. Yeah, that makes sense. I, well, I feel like you're almost giving post... Maybe I've suffered through more of this shit than you have, but I feel like you're almost giving YouTube post-black bands too much credit. <laughs> I think they aspire... I think they might conceive of themselves as having elaborate song structures and continuously building crescendos. Mm -hmm. But really what they have is two or three Baba Black Sheep riffs for like th six to ten minutes. Um, it, it doesn't... It, it's, they often will loudly insist that there is a rise in intensity, but just by not by doing it. Um, mm, that's fair, but I, but, I, there is something to just like not doing it for 12 minutes. <laughs> no, no, that's what I was going to say, but it comes around, it comes around to the same thing, which is I think either way you're, you're right that this is structurally very different because it's, it's a lot more punchy and competent, right? It's, it's, it's workman like in a way that this other stuff isn't because that stuff is amateur. Um, yeah. And, uh, and like, yeah, you say sort of inherently there's something pompous or pretentious about it because it pro in the real sense of the word pretentious because it promises something. It simply is incapable of delivering, right? This record promises very little and delivers more. Mm -hmm. um, and structurally, it's... Uh, and yeah, these, these work a lot more like effective and engaging black metal song structures or... Yeah, no, that makes sense. I, I get that. Yeah. Uh, real quick, let me just pivot to the next sample. Um, Guiding Lights to Eden. Um, 
there okay so the there's a lot of stuff that I would like to sample on this record. I think that the second half of the record in particular uh, is probably the stronger half and has more distinct ideas. But a lot of this record feels just, despite the seriousness of the music, there is a playful quality to it that I really enjoy. Just that all of these guys are, like all the guys on this record are older than the intended age of the musicians to make this kind of thing. So they've got these adult jokes tucked away in a children's cartoon effect to them. You know, the way they execute some of these ideas. Like on that last sample, during that pointillistic Animals as Leaders part, I love Floris just like having the time of his life on the drums with all those linear beats, which are like almost a musical joke in and of themselves because those parts always have those linear skittering hi-hat beats, but he's just he's just loving it. He's hamming it up for the camera. By um, linear, you mean constantly changing? Uh, so, uh, linear means like uh, no two pieces of the kit are hit at the same time. It's a a, a rush of um, single notes where you're never getting like a simultaneous oh. hat mm-hmm. and kick. Um, they're a, a very tricky and very cool technique that got done to death in like the mid 2010s. So it's they're really cool, but they're also kind of funny whenever I hear them. <laughs> right, it's, it's it's pointillistic drumming. It's yeah, like yeah. Subtle, subtle light hit sort of rustling. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's very difficult to do, but it became like, it, it's like the drummer showcase video on YouTube always prominently features a linear beat section. Mm-hmm. Um, but Guiding Lights to Eden is uh, a great song where they just go for the throat and go totally self-indulgent American melodic metalcore. The cor- <coughs> excuse me, the chorus riff on this song is the single dopest riff on the record, and I really want to spin, kick, and cry every time I hear it. <laughs> Thank you. 
did they let you in the studio to write that riff? <laughs> Dude, it's that that riff is um it's almost like a slowed down carrier riff or something. And I there's something about that kind of epic metalcore riff. You the open chord arrangement and then the little trem turnaround at the end. Oh, that's, that's just so cool. It just inject the dopamine directly into my brainstem. <laughs> I hadn't noticed that one really going through it. That's an amazing riff. That's um, so good. It, it it definitely feels like metalcore all the way through, but it's also it's a hybrid riff. I feel like the beginning mm-hmm. is really DSBM chords, right? Yeah, da, yeah. Da, 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 like an austere mm-hmm. kind of thing, and then halfway through they whip out that crazy sort of melodeath lead, and then they harmonize it. It's 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 a really cool th- combination of feelings that go together in what are supposed to be different genres. Um, yeah, they they they're they're these guys are just so experienced. They they find those points of interconnection between these disparate parts and they execute on them. Um, and I it's also worth pointing out um, across this whole record, there's a bunch of subtle technical stuff going on that's really cool, like the clean section. Uh, that dominates like half of this song is uh, based on a, a bar of four four followed by a bar of seven eight. So you get this little this little staccato trip at the end mm-hmm. of the full phrase, which is really neat. And a lot of these clean sections that are all over the record are based on odd time configurations that feel very naturalistic when these guys execute them. Um, this is a really fun record to listen to as a musician. Uh, you, you get the sense that these guys were again. It's it, there's a very playful mood to all this stuff. It's like pulling out these little tricks that they have from so many years of experience. You know, uh, you know, sort of daring each other to fit things together that shouldn't work, and sort of executing on the premise really effectively. It's just I don't know. It's it's just a ton of fun. So here is something that gives maybe maybe this is the most straight up black metal track on the record, uh, but in an interesting way. This one's called Urban Misanthropy, right? So the title kind of evokes feelings you might expect on Meslantea. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, it makes sense for this sort of style in general. Um, and there's a... Uh, there's a proxy... Yeah, I'll say some stylistic stuff here because I'll get more into the songwriting after the sample. Uh, but... Um, Actually, no. We'll get to the the, the vibe stuff later. Um, this one has a good. This one has both tinkly post black parts, arpeggios and leads, and it has real black metal riffs played with these distorted sliding chords. Um, and I like this one because they have them interacting in a cool way, but prioritizing the black metal riffs. Um, the other thing that this song does that is secretly very black metal, structurally black metal, is that it's essentially a one riff song.
proudest fat, but here we are. Second full length from our band we've reviewed before, Kampfesvut. Uh This is Die Rücker des Barden, uh, or De Barden, out on the label Acid Vicious. Is 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 that it? That, yeah, is that Acid I, Vicious joke. No, I I looked it up and uh, they seem like a pretty established label. I've just never heard of them before. Interesting. Sounds like a punk label. Uh, the um, Acid Vicious. Okay. Um, but the uh, I was thinking like acid visions. But anyway, um, Confessvoot put out uh, one or two releases in the past on Old Mill, uh, and we've covered a lot of their stuff before. Uh, and this is a 
This record has a very cool cover, I must say, of a, uh, a, a, a sort of raven whose heart has been pierced by arrows. Um, and uh, it, it is... <coughs> I don't know. It, I, let's get into it. General characterization. Um, the last one had a combination of dungeon synth aesthetics and sort of metal choreisms applied to what we now call pagan black metal, but is basically folk metal uh, and, you know, the, the influence of Absurd and the, the German NS scene. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, <clears throat> the... Um, uh, it, it so it's like absurd the folk metalist parts of absurd especially sort of the later stuff uh, um, after you know Blutgericht and the um, uh, Grimmig Volks music and all that it's it's that that side of absurd routed through these other sort of less less reputable well I guess I mean I guess you could say absurd isn't very reputable right? but uh, <laughs> um, you know different kind of disreputable genre. Um, and uh, the um, and so there was there was something distinctive about it from the beginning, uh, and a combination of sort of very skillful guitar playing with a deliberately rickety production uh, mm-hmm. with unhinged unhinged blasting drum machine. Uh, there so there was a sort of whimsical charm that tied it to the old mill aesthetic, uh, but. Also, a very intense uh, aggression and a sort of almost mosh parts, right? There, there, there's, there's sort of testosterone and rage here. Uh, and this record feels like a more refined, um, focused version of that. It's almost, um, would, you could almost call this a minimalist effort in a way, because you've got uh, songs built around a a handful of riffs that are um, always extremely epic, which we'll talk about more, um, and don't run that long uh, and run at peak intensity the whole time. Basically, it's an it's it's an exercise in making every riff the climax riff, mm-hmm. um, and the riffs themselves are usually pretty simple and majestic. Uh, and the intensity is uniform. There yeah. are also nice folk interludes and intros to songs, um, but uh, the central offering, which I I almost would be interested to hear just wall to wall of this, if you took out the interludes uh, and outros and whatnot, you would have a record that was almost grindy. I was going to say, Confiswood's most distinctive feature is that it like it grinds in a way that this combination it, of genres typically doesn't. It, it could almost be like a modern Suomi Finland with the kinds of folk black influences that are now common. Mm-hmm. Um, if you made it a bit more severe and took away the interstitial stuff. I'd be interested to hear that. But basically... This is sort of maniacal grinding folk black for, you know, standing on the sides of mountains and yelling. Um, yeah. Yeah, so what did you make of it? Uh, this is a... I think this is a cool record. This is also a, a, a very weird situation that this record has found itself in, in that because it was released now, it has to be directly compared to the record that came out by uh, Der Tod... Uh, Undi Landsnecht, um, right. which we covered a few months back. 
um, which trades in almost the same genre mashup that Confus Wood trades in, uh, which is a, a, such a strange situation. Like, this is such a specific thing that's going on, this sort of, like, uh, racing, epic, melodic black metal meets RAC meets folk meets, like, Schlager and pop punk stuff, like, and, and like, some power metal. You wouldn't think there was, like... There were two sets of guys that were going to come up with that at the same time, but here we are. And Der Toad, of course, has, you know, the relationship with Absurd, so that's going to be much higher profile by default. Um, and in both cases, the the prominent um, influence at the core is Absurd's more folk material from later in their career, as you mentioned. Um, I think this is quite good. Uh, I really did enjoy the first Confiswood record that we covered back in 2021. That, like, narrowly missed getting on my best of the year list when that came out. Mm-hmm. Um, and this one is, in a sense, more of the same, but refined. Uh, this guy has a, a, a very distinct idea of what he wants to make, and he's really iterating upon that idea. Um, however, like I said, the problem is, like, it's going to just by necessity be constantly compared to a much higher profile record that came out in the same year. And I'm like, man, compass what if you had just waited till January to release this, you would have been kind of in a better situation. Um, but I, I basically agree with everything that you said regarding how this music proceeds. It's this this particular grinding flavor that I think is one of the most interesting aspects about it, as well as a really high level of execution on the folk material. Generally, on records like this, I tend to find you know folk interludes or ambient interludes to be something of a waste of time. Um, and I don't think I would even be wrong in that assumption in 90% of cases, but here they feel very integral to the album as a whole. While I know what you mean by like, what if we just had a 25 minute record that was like nothing but like grinding high speed folk power black metal. Um, I think that it wouldn't land nearly as well. And I think that the folk interludes and these sort of clean passages work really well as interstitial material to break up stuff that might become sort of monotonous because this is this is music that is like very very down the line very niche and focused on a small handful of very specific ideas and it's really hard for anything with that sort of focus to sustain itself for very long um but using the folk material to break it up and sort of provide the opposite side of the coin that this record is exploring, I think is really advantageous to it. Um, well, I think it's I think it's a lot of fun, and I think that this is a project that, with more eyes on it, could be a lot bigger. Uh, I, I I think that the music that Compass Wood is interested in exploring is pretty hot right now, and I think his execution of it is good, and I think it's really just marketing that's limiting this band from, you know, sort of breaking out in a bigger way. Alright, so Exhibit A for the comparison with Der Todd under Landskvacht would be, you know, one of the early tracks from the record. Let's do Ein Narisch Blutbad. Thank you. 
zwei, drei, vier. Ja. So, um, the whole thing has a pretty close parallel to to the um, to Der Todd. Um, you know, the main melody. That's that's about as close as Confuswood gets to one of these sort of flowing folk melodies that's big on that record. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the sort of indulgent Wacken metal or uh, hardcore moments um, are all, are also a very close parallel, right? So at two thirty we have a pile up riff, basically yeah. a sing along thing. Where there are moments like that on the Dare Toad record, even the me- there's even a metalcore breakdown on that record. Yeah. So very neat comparison. Um, you can also hear some of the more manic up tempo parts of the latest Horn records here. Um, I think probably Horn is another band that's obviously very influenced by Absurd, but has developed his own kind of esoteric style. Yeah, um, I mean, Absurd is a band from which you can make ten different kinds right. of bands. Right, and Horn is distinct enough now that you can draw influence from them and have it be different. So I think Confusfoot also probably has a lot to do with Horn, mm-hmm. um, and also with the specific sort of mountainous feeling. Uh, uh, I don't know if it's Alps is the right word, the central German mountains, but um, the, uh, um, but yeah, so you, you can you can hear that parallel. Where the difference is is twofold. I mean, the the sort of the weakness, right? The thing Confuswood doesn't have is that I would say the this is pulling much more from folk metal than from folk. I think even in the acoustic parts, which are very well played and nice, I don't think there's there's not nearly 
Der Todd, they do some settings of traditional folk songs, but also originals. I think, mm-hmm. or is the whole record settings of folk songs? I think, I think the settings, even if they are all settings, they're so far off. It's like, sure. you know, they're meaningfully developed and they're, you know, turned into metal riffs, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And you add other riffs and whatnot. Um, and, and that's just how bards worked, right? You, you embellish traditional material. But the, um, uh, they have these songs. Those guys really know how to write uh, in a way that connects directly to this folk source material, and is uh, and there's a, a sense of authenticity and immediate authenticity and ancientness to the melodies, even though they will then switch into something that just is totally power metal or totally like cliche Viking Stein swilling folk metal. Mm-hmm. Um, this feels a lot more like at second hand in the way that some of that folk metal stuff is. It's drawing from the most folky, epic parts of metal bands he likes. Um, so Der Todd has much more sort of uh, flourishing and lively melodies, I would say. Um, the strength, the thing that distinguishes Confessable is the grinding feel, which now our listeners have been able to hear, right? Even the moments on this little sample that are kind of stompy, as in they involve a one-two, mm-hmm. are going at like four times the tempo of any stompy, absurd-style black metal. Um, and the blasts are way faster than anything Der Todd would or Absurd would do. Uh, and one cool thing he's doing uh, is something we always try to encourage people to do is he has a drum machine, and he's using it as a drum machine. Yeah. There's no attempt to pretend it's real drums. He's doing cool drum machine stuff, some of which I missed on a sort of superficial first listen, but you you reminded me, no, it's actually here. Yeah, I think that I think the reason it doesn't stand out is I, I feel like the primary limiting factor of this music is the production style. Um, mm-hmm. I think that there's no reason this shouldn't have a big, loud, stompy, clear Vakken metal yeah. production style. It should it just be loud as fuck. You know? It should be loud as fuck, and you should make the drum tones like lower and more, and maybe no- they're sort of clattering now. You could make them lower and noisier. Yeah, make, and, make and, it sound like Abigor or something. And give me like just four layers of guitar and like ten <laughs> layers of vocals all the time. Just like go, go grind excess on this. Yeah, because if you're gonna have these sort of big broad arc folky metal melodies you might as well and you want that focus to be on the the main line of the melody or a couple simple parts in the harmony you know you can beef that up just by doubling it or adding fifths you know just add fifths and octaves all over the fucking place well i think Um, i think that's something that's also getting reached for here that we have to keep in mind is like the the sort of spare nature of a lot of the melodies here. Now, I really like the riffing across this record because it reminds me of, like, the sparer moments of, like, stock Melodeth riffing. Like, Mm -hmm. very simple sort of Amana Marth ideas, but delivered at this breakneck speed. And I think that's just a cool idea. You know, it's the, you know, quantity is a quality of its own thing. The mm-hmm. idea of just playing, you know, basic Amanamarth style Melodeth riffs at bizarre speeds with an inhuman drum machine is a really cool idea in and of itself. And while individual riffs might not be as interesting as on records by similar bands, I think 
I think it's sort of good that they're a little bit more minimal and the agglutinative effect of okay. hearing them all in a row is pretty cool. That makes sense to me. So really, it's just, again, embrace everything that makes you not just an absurd worship band. So don't, I mean, sure, I would always encourage everyone to go listen to, maybe this guy does listen to German folk music and he just hasn't internalized it so much. But like, you know, of course, always go back and, you know, dig the dig the moldering crates and whatnot. Yeah. However, your thing doesn't need to be trying to beat them at the game of doing modern leader, right? Or uh, you can do, uh, you can just focus on these sorts of, um, these these sorts of spare, the, these, these folky metal riffs that, as you say, are so spare, they're basically minimalist. Mm-hmm. Just concentrate on the stripping down and on the and on the use of these troped gestures in an effective way and then you really have something that's like german pagan black metal but cyber grinded yeah like the whole thing has been bit crushed don't make it literally sound bit crushed but like you could do this deliberately kind of um abstracted and pixelated version of it Basically, this guy's at his best when he's doing this stuff that is minimalist, and the more consciously minimalist this band becomes, the better. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, th- I think that's definitely the path forward. Um, I can imagine the next record being just like totally wildly down the rabbit hole in that direction, and that would be like a shoe in for one of the best of the year. Um, Okay, so yeah, I, I want to hear that too. This band is at its. We've probably said it on the last review, but this guy's at his best when he sounds insane. <laughs> it's still not insane enough, and it should be even more ignorant. Yeah, it should be insaner if if yes. possible. Yes. Um, let me go to uh, one of the folk tracks. Uh, we're just gonna play the whole thing because it's just a couple minutes long. Uh, so this is a uh, uh, Das Bard und Schwarzer Gesang. Um, I really like the folk material. Um, it, it's odd. Like, some of the promo material describes it as neo-folk, but it's it's not, from what I've mm-hmm. heard of neo-folk. Like, because none of this sounds, like, dour enough to be neo-folk, from what I understand of that genre. Um, but I think it's really good. Uh, I think that uh, this is a really varied record in terms of just, like, you know, it has this ADD quality of, like, jumping from idea to idea, like, very quickly. And these moments of breathing room are really appreciated, sort of in the same way that, like... You know, in the same way that people say, oh, I want to hear a Mortician album without the horror samples. It's like, no, you actually don't. Like, the the, the horror samples are important dark ambient interludes between crushing grinds. Mm-hmm. Um here, I think the folk stuff has a similar effect of, like, providing not an intermission but a quiet moment in the movie to allow you to collect your breath before the next onslaught begins. Mit 
was der Mann, der so treu von Lieb und Tode singen kann. Sie laute in dem Stalle lauter Wart Sprachen nur was für ein Mann Der so kaut sich von Teufel zu singen kann Und der König mit seinem königlichen Gewalt Und der Kiegel des Arren nicht vorbei Sprach nur was für ein Mann Der gern mutige Männer zur Schlacht singen kann So I think that's uh I think that's really nice. Um I I appreciate uh German folk stuff is interesting to me because like the cheese is what is authentic. You know, it's like if you if you extract the sort of like weird overdone quality of it from that style, it's no longer authentic. Uh, and I appreciate the way that he commits to it. And just within the context of this whole album, I think these are really great moments. Yeah, I feel like these parts just kind of go in one ear and out the other for me. Um, but it's... Because uh, it still to me has that like not folky but not really folk feel. However, that is a thing you could also say very fairly about like a lot of, if not most neo-folk, right? Um, <laughs> I did. The, it has, well, it was, it, it, has, was, it was funny when you were writing that well, note, like that it's actually pretty neo-folky because I came up with this great description. It's like, but black metal guy, I thought neo-folk is where you played folk, but you wore sunglasses and you weren't having a good time. Yeah. Well, a lot of it <laughs> is, right. I, that, that's a very fair characterization. Um, but there's a lot of stuff that this guy would probably be cued into. Once you like go a little, you know, go in a little deeper, um, there are bands that are a lot less dour or really not dour at all. I imagine he likes. Um, so what was I going to say? This part really does sound kind of very neo folky, and maybe that gives me more of a context to appreciate it. But it there's more exuberant stuff in neo folk. Like I'm sure he likes Forsetti. Or mm. German, um, or um, also or Spanish Sangre de Mordago. So, um, real quick about uh, Sangre de Mordago, I actually know them, and I was surprised you did. It. And the only reason I know them is because the guy from Cold World yes! is in. <laughs> like, yes. What? I just because I remember seeing that in his metal archives listing. I was like, "What the fuck is this?" And I look it up, and it's this like cool folky chamber music stuff. I'm like, "Oh, this is this is kind of neat." Yeah, what a cool collection of... What a cool lineup, right? That's a cool yeah. band. Um, yeah, so that's like... You would... Have, have you listened to them? Oh, you, you're saying you already have listened yeah, to them. Yeah, yeah. It's, yes. it's, it's yeah. good. It's like more up my alley than most neo-folk stuff. 
Yeah. So, and it's very dreamy and can be very solemn, but it's not really dour. It's fun and it's sort mm-hmm. of sensually indulgent. Yeah, um, yeah. That's cool. But the, uh, yeah, you could have a nice party, right? You know, drink some wine or whatever. Um, <laughs> uh, the, um, so, so yeah, so it has some proximity to that more exuberant neo folk stuff. Uh, I, I can hear that. Um, another band that he may or may not like is Vrimwat, who is a German guy, nowadays German guy, which is somewhere between those two sides of the dour scale. Um, <laughs> you know, um, maybe upbeat, more upbeat melodies, but very grim lyrics, I think. Um, but the, um, but anyway, so. I, I can hear that, and you know, thinking about the folk parts, um, or, or the I think you're right about the structural use for them. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think you have a good point because it allows him. I think it's what allows him to do the continuous climax approach to songwriting. Um, yeah, and I'll I'll get more into that after this sample. Um, the most extreme example of that is the song Sturm. Which literally works as a deferred climax to "I nourishes I nourish Bloodbad." That is, it's like almost like one song built into two, broken mm-hmm. into two. Um, but I'm gonna sample another one that works like that, uh, which has is a little more elaborate, called "Barbarossa," um, and we're gonna hear some of the uh, just continuous cli- after some folky stuff. Initially, we get into just the big climax riff.
that's that's pretty epic, man. Yeah, continuously um, so. Yeah, so you you come out of the folk stuff, and then you've got there. It feels like there's just one riff there, but there's actually two, and they interact with each other. Mm-hmm. So the first riff is kind of a you know has a kind of march marching maybe slightly gravelandy strut to it but it then opens up in this crazy way where you have this wandering flyaway slav black lead um like some of the most insane parts of following the voice of blood which you really drew my attention to when we did mm-hmm. that review um uh but really i think like crota um oh yeah crota would definitely and, be a reference point here and then it falls into another riff, which is just, oh, man, that one kills me. Da, 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 da. I butchered it because it's out of the key of my voice. But um, the just the sighing sentimental chords on the second half of that, but packed with so, not even sentimental, just packed with so much emotional power. Um, uh Really cool. Both of these are like gigantic crota riffs, and the lead work from over the first riff transfers over the second one, um, and it all just keeps accumulating. Right, the double bass comes in. He's, he's screaming, maybe about the mighty German emperor, medieval German emperor Barbarossa. Um, mm. But the uh, it, it does. Uh, I looked at the lyrics. It does appear to be about uh, uh, Kaiser Friedrich. You know. All right. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, um, he made it to the Crusades, actually. Um, yeah. Um, he had a good run. Um, but the, uh, um, so it, it's just very massive chest-thumping uh, Slav black moments that are Germanized here. The other thing you could think about is maybe the, um, the sing-along moment in the middle of uh, Nitberg's Nackle Ride. If you know it, you know it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, but um, this, I mean, this is to me some of the, like the most sophisticated songwriting on the record, and it's just deliriously cool. Uh, yeah. And in the the content, and how cool, much cooler would it be if it had insane, incredibly loud industrial drumming under it? Um, but the other thing about it structurally, and this is getting back to your thing about the folk is the way he's writing, I think, is really informed by one band that has had kind of an understated influence on modern stuff, which is Bez Maash, Mm -hmm. um, who are going to come up again. Um, And some people think of them as like a... Well, I'm getting on a tangent. We'll save that. But um, basically, they have an interesting thing, which is, at least on their best records, it is every song is the climax riff, or every riff is a climax riff, and the song kind of, they don't really have any conventional shape. Yeah, they're very horizontal. Yeah. Yeah. They play these big, big block chords that are very much in the French kind of, they sound French tonally, but in terms of like the kinds of chords, it's more like Slavic levels of density. And there's these big, and the way they saw on them, and they do it over like metalcore breakdown rhythms. And one just sort of slides into the next and then back into the other one and then just goes away. I don't really know what happens when it goes away. There must be like music happening or ambient. I have no idea. <laughs> but then it comes back. Oh my God. Um, and somehow they pull this off as a structure. 
it's it's something that should be like a juvenile or incoherent approach to writing a record but they do it very deliberately to where it's like far more sophisticated than just writing songs well, yeah, um, ba- Baze Mahash is sort of like the the ultimate gorked articulation of like the militant zone archetype of bands. It it is like the militant zone stuff, but I think it has a little more musical substance. No, no, more, it's a, no, a it, lot more. Yeah. It's it's oh. it's better than almost oh, all that I stuff. See. But if you if you take like the Moloth conceit mm-hmm. and you mm-hmm. like really overcommit to it, you get Baze Mahash. I, I, I see what you mean. Yes, yeah, the the sort of the powerlifting werewolf thing and the big hooks and just not sort of exoteric black metal, basically. Very, um, yeah, very very exoteric. Like uh, um, the. Uh, it's um the and yeah the most sort of you were saying the most sophisticated version of that yeah that totally makes sense yeah but anyway so this song really works in exactly that way it just sort of slides from one huge riff to the next and you wouldn't know it if you weren't like you would just be like why does this feel so good now and you'd have to be like oh there's a new riff it you know it's only when you're listening to it for a podcast that you you try to de- go back over these things um and so the the reason uh, Kampfuswood can get away with it is similar to the reason Bez Mahash can, is that there's this, he allows the songs to be this kind of enormous riff events, and then it slides back into this continuum of very nice, well-played, folky stuff. Yeah, it's, uh, it's there is a, a very delicate balance that is struck across this record. Um, he... There's a, there's a lot of threading a needle or walking a tightrope, and I, I think it's pretty impressive how much he manages to stay upright. Hey, all, this is Brandon from Cromlech, and you're listening to Terminus. And we are back from discussing the hermetic virtues of New England black metal to. Uh, Review some a, hermetic, uh, New hermetic, England black- <laughs> hermetic New England black metal by um, Forest Thrall. This is Amidst Pines, and it's out now on Death Prayer Records, who really have started to corner the market on a certain kind of outlaw rock aesthetic uh, because they've done Ink and Fire, I believe, they've done Grave Pilgrim, and now they're doing this. Forrest, they're all like those bands, and Strix Eskizis, really, uh, who are from Vermont, so also kind of New England-y, um, uh, is a band coming out the gate with a fully formed outlaw rock aesthetic, right? It's like, it's really not something, you know, we've, we've had to like go back and find that in certain bands. This really is just conceived along those lines. Yeah, now sort of, now it just exists. Even if people don't use the term, this is a fully defined aesthetic. Yes, it exists. It is, um, you know, um, th- we have the, this is the most, this record has the most definite representation of the outlaw rock protagonist we've ever seen, <laughs> right? Yes. It's dude, dude chilling in the pine woods with his... Um, uh, with his cam- full-body camo, his balaclava, he's smoking his pipe. Um, he's just marked a, marked a luminescent rune on the bark. Uh, 
He's got a um, he's leaning his AK against the tree. He's got his trusty uh, his trusty motorcycle Slepnir up there. Um, <laughs> he refers to his... it only as a hog, never as a motorcycle. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's that that's it. Um, that's that's the outlaw rocker, um, and. Uh, it is, yeah, it's sort of America reimagined in a way that has nothing to do with the United States, and it's a it's a Vinlandic vision of the country that uh, is rooted, profoundly rooted in paganism. Uh, this this guy has some really cool. His last record is really focused on the Celtic god Cernanos, who is also uh, a favorite god of mine, um, and has a very cool cover art. So th- this is a very fully realized aesthetic. Um, uh, I have to say also the cover art specifically for this record um, really echo Bezmaash, who we mentioned on the last review as a musical influence. Uh, and really Bezmaash are maybe the ground zero, one, certainly one of my reference points for the Outlaw Rock thing mm-hmm. when we were coming up with it. Uh, the thing is they just had this American biker, cowboy, uh, you know, um, outlaw country thing transplanted to France, and it's now being retransplanted back. Uh, so musically, it doesn't really sound like Bezmahash in any direct way. Um, so, uh, and what this record is musically is extremely idiosyncratic, and we're going to spend this review trying to wrap our heads around it, and maybe come to some agreement on it. Um, when I first clicked through this, I thought, oh man, this one needs some work. We're going to have to take it to the shop, right? I wanted to review it because, you know, um, it, it was right up our alley aesthetically, right? But I, I, I wasn't so into what I first heard. But the um, on, second, on second and third listens for the show, right, I found a lot to enjoy here. And I think there are real strengths to build on. But there's also some stuff here I just really don't like. Um, and I think could be shocked away. Uh, Death Metal Guy, what did you make of it? I think this is fucking awesome, and it's going to be on my year-end list. Nice. Okay. <laughs> um, you're right that this is rough around the edges, and it's not, like, fully formed musically yet, but I think the core conceit of it is just so cool and so unique that it just, like, catapults it ahead of the pack. Um, This guy seems to be making an effort to... Maybe this is a long shot, but to me this comes off as, like, an effort to make a uniquely American pagan metal. Like, sort of, like, in its own vein distinct... I mean, you could say that about something like, you know, Makuahedal at the same time, but this is clearly coming from a completely different direction. Um... This guy is, like, trying to create something sort of out of whole cloth, and for the most part, he's succeeding, so, like, any rough edges, like, don't even scan to me, pretty much. It's like, if I focus in, I could be like, yeah, maybe this could be adjusted or something, but the whole of it is just so successful and so unique that I'm very happy with it. Um, The reference points here are... This does not sound like really like anything else in Outlaw Rock or anything else in sort of like modern weirdo black metal. Um, It sounds kind of like BBH. 
and kind of like Graveland and at least spiritually kind of like Iljarn. But like this guy is making a an almost wholly unique style of American pagan black metal out of just primordial things that are accessible to everyone. You know, this is a guy who just respects the power cord as a unit of just like immense force. Um I guess like as far as closest direct musical comparison this has something to do with like really gorked BBH stuff like the uh the self-titled first forest album um probably probably some raven dark um just kind of the, the 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 scronkiest and ugliest parts of the BBH which are not usually the places that I go to but have incredible value um this is this is very pagan, but it's also very heavy and it's very confrontational. There's a a a, a bullheaded aggression to this music that I think is really cool, while at the same time being very sort of oniric and and twilight. Um, I just think it's a it's a fucking awesome record. It's just it's so fucking weird. And the fact that we're having so much trouble figuring out what this sounds like mm-hmm. is like the recommendation itself. Yeah. yeah. So I want to say for sure the the religious vision is very authentic here and it comes through in the music. Uh, the um, I, and on that level, I, I feel it and appreciate it. The um, I, and I think you can say that more overall is that even on a compositional level, the record is, the whole, the total vision is present. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I can't exactly say more than the sum of its parts, because I think the parts could be working better. But there's something like, I find the overall experience way more compelling than many of the individual parts. Um, and so this is where I get to my, my criticism of the record. I really feel almost like we're hearing two different records because in terms of the, I feel like he's really good at these massive song structures that you've compared to doom metal in the notes, which I think is really astute. And I would just say also Bathory, right? And Mm -hmm. by the time you get to Epic Bathory, it basically has more to do with Solstice than like, you know, Mayhem or Iljarn, right? so, so Bathory on, on Hammerheart is basically kind of a doom, a pagan doom band. Um, he's really good at these vast landscape-like song structures, um, and you've got some good comments about that coming up. Um, but the so he's he's got all, he's got the form, and if the form is there, you've got a lot. But I feel like as far as the content, uh, it really needs work because on a riff by riff basis. Many of the most of the central riffs sound like post black. Hmm. Um, they don't remind me of the more out there BBH stuff. I think I hear that in his overall delivery. I hear that in the sprawling songs, the sort of psychedelic heathen vision, in some of the weirder riffs that you highlight rightly. Hmm. But like the general stuff, I feel like has the very sort of conservative epic pentatonic interval choice you get in post-black and it's played with these sort of um, reverb-laden leads that can't carry the weight they're being asked to. Mm, um, okay. Yeah, I, I hear a lot of sort of um, uh, and, and I'll get into that with my, my sample, but uh, 
it's this is not a post-black record in any way, just in terms of the general spirit. I, I don't want to. I don't want to put that on it, right? I argued about that with with with, with our, <laughs> right. This is we're coming back to things we talked about with the color of rain, right? Is it or is it not post black? I would say that is this isn't, mm -hmm. but there's some like residue of that here somehow. I don't know if that's what this guy listens to, but I can tell you he's got a very definite list of influences, which is worth going through. So he's obviously into a bunch of the shit we're into and reference points on the show: Graveland, Inquisition. So Migla, sure. Hava Krunu, we don't talk about a lot, but an excellent band. Ancestral Shadows, a New Hampshire band, I believe. Really quite good, like like Overblood, Satanic Warmaster. Um, mm -hmm. And then the stuff like and stuff like Moonblood, right? But then he's got Cult of Fire, Black Silice, and uh, Rune Spell. And uh, Judas Iscariot, apparently. Yeah, well, yeah, sorry, I forgot to mention them on the list of things we like, right? Mm -hmm. But Cult of Fire really sounds like post-black. Mm -hmm. Um uh, Runespell does too. Runespell is meant to be like a Graveland tribute. I think it has one member from Infernum, also sort of a pagan, Australian pagan BM band, and they have some connection to Drowning the Light. But Runespell and Infernum songs are kind of like, they have kind of like the basic note choice of a Graveland riff, but none of the things that give it life. Um, and mm -hmm. it really is like a post-blackization of... Um, of Pagan BM, even though I think that's not the intention. So he's like listening to a certain kind of epic or melodic black metal that's very focused, that puts a lot of weight on stock lead ideas. Mm, um, okay. And, and that carries through, um, that carries through into his, his songwriting. Um, I think you could say that about Black Silice too, right? A lot of it, there's kind of, it's very lead, unusually for black metal, it's very lead driven. And Black Silice leads hard on his really weird production to make it work. Yeah, well, that band is like that. That's such a. He arrives at a similar place to like post black technique, but like I think just from like a completely different lineage. You know, I I, sure. I think like Black Black Silice is what happens when you just you're autistic in Portuguese and you listen to way too much Black Legions for way too long. <laughs> but, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, we can, I guess we can just get into samples because it's important that people like actually just hear this firsthand. Um, so I want to go to uh, From the Edge of Woodland Temples. And this is going to be a pretty long sample, but these songs operate at a really extended scale. There's a lot of repetition, um, just sort of like, plotting. Uh, I, I said in the notes that I think I listened to a lot of Funeral Doom and I think that prepped me a little bit for this. Um, these are songs that are eight minutes long, but they're about a five second moment of inflection, you know, of a transition between mm -hmm. riffs, so, you know, a sudden moment of change, which is sort of how Funeral Doom songs operate. But I would also argue on like a riff by riff basis we haven't done this one in a while but i'm gonna turn it back on you black metal guy what if i said this wasn't a riff based band <laughs> uh, so no my, i think you're kind of right my idea is like i don't think the individual riffs really matter that much i think that i'll basically agree that they're sort of gestural but where you hear um the sort of twinkly lead stuff coming in. I think that's just sort of like 
an augmenting small thing, and all the energy is located just in the grinding power cords underneath them. Um, so let's listen to this section toward the end of From the Edge of Woodland Temples, and we've got a really, um, like, trudging... Uh, intro section that will suddenly drop into a blast beat and a huge lead and uh, we can talk about it a little bit. It's a, it's a cool effect. So, we have that intro section, we drop into that blast, and then we have that that big lead that, like, if modified could sound like a more, like, candy-like Vothana thing or something, but it's not. The intervals are kind of weirdly offset. Um, you've got that strange turnaround halfway through, and the way it ends is with that sort of almost Eastern-flavored step-and-a-half drop. It's like a 12 down to a 9 or something. That's a technique that I just really like, and I do that in a lot of my writing. Um, mm. But 
part of the effect here, this is a very funeral doom thing, is just the fact that it goes on so long. Um, and uh, we like on this show a lot of stuff that sounds like a lot of lead guitar stuff or just black metal in general that sounds very agile. You know, the element is air. But here, the fast parts feel labored. Everything on this record feels sort of laborious and drugged, like, you know, walking around with a broken leg, which is just such an odd effect for music like this to have these sort of like sprightly melodies that are even when speed picked sound sort of sluggish and not defeated or not like enervated but just like heavy like there's like a physical weight attached to all of it which again is interesting given like the thin production and the sort of like bleary delayed out tones of everything on this record for it to still convey that sense of like mass is fascinating like i the the study the the contrasts in the sounds on this record are really compelling to me um and just that moment of just this sudden like almost senseless drop into the blast beat that's like the moment that the song is about you know I agree. That's really cool. And um, yeah, there's almost a dissonance effect created just by how abrupt that drop is. And there's kind of like a squealy or scronky thing he does as he changes notes that makes it really heavy. Yeah. Um, and then again, in the blast riff, I would actually say a lot of that, to me, a lot of the interval choice there is conventional in that it's moving through this post pentatonic landscape. However, the overall structure is there's enough notes in it, right? It goes on for a long enough time that it's a distinctive shape. And the thing that makes it really distinctive is that fifth note. Yeah, yes, that's what I was talking about, that that odd interval choice halfway through. You get this sudden, so you get one, two, three, passing tone that's way shorter than you would expect it to be. It falls off, right? The third... the. Da, 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 da. The fourth note is way shorter than you think, um, and that and that right. feels and like that feels like an authentically like House of First Light thing. Yeah, yeah, and the steep fall to that last note is just crazy. So, okay, I'll come back to that in a sec. What what I'm getting at, which really I'm just building on what you said about the structures. This guy, Forrest Thrall, thrives on discontinuity, mm-hmm. like establishing an intense continuity and then breaking it. Um, and so that melody gets such so much of its power just from that sudden break or drop in it. It's definitely, yeah, this has the weirdness. Everything here has the weirdness of House of First Light. It also has the weirdness. It's a bit like Winds of Gladsheimer, which I also thought sounded like Post Black. Um, uh, but the, um, which is one of, one of their like lesser, lesser known projects. But the, um, the other, and yes, I hear the BBH thing too in how strangely shaped and long this riff is. Mm-hmm. Um, but the what I really hear in this song and kind of throughout, but especially in this song, between the first riff that you played as the sort of, you described as the intro riff, but it's a good part of the song. And I well, yeah, I, mean, I just meant for the sample, yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's The, the first one is this kind of trudge riff that has a um, a much more regularly shaped long tremolate over it and it, that has the tinkling stuff too but it's 
it has a distinctive, uh, and it has these very regular intervals, but it has a real cool shape that works well with the Trojan rhythm. Um, what that really all reminds me of is Arvondil. Do you remember the first Arvondil oh, yeah. record? Yeah, yes. Arvondil was very weird up front. It was very weird, but also very not weird in the way that it was extremely, it was almost produced like post-black. It had a glistening guitar tone and it centered on leads, which were often very regularly spaced more than I would like them to be. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the interaction of the leads with certain kinds of cool, simple rhythm guitar stuff, which I'll get back to in my last sample. but uh, at its best, this has like Arvondil also has that heaviness in lightness. It feels mm-hmm. like trudging through snow, like the cover, uh-huh. and 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 so uh, there, there's some connection there. Uh, um, but yeah, I like this sample, this passage a lot, and I like this track a lot generally. I, I think it's like the most successful all the way through. Yeah, and and I, I guess sort of wrapping around to what I was saying in the the sense that it's like not riff-based music. You know what this is? I think this is, like, an exact inversion of, like, our usual relationship on some black metal albums that you'll bring, where it's like, I'm just like, this is very boring, why do you like this riff? And you're like, well, it's, like, it's about this meta effect and shit, but this is, like, the way I like that executed. This is my Eisenskur. That's what's going on here. Oh, okay, yeah. (laughs) Where Eisenskur is, like, two CDs of just, like, dour trudging, and I don't get it at all. This is, like, my version of dour trudging that I want to listen to all day. <laughs> well, the thing is, it's not dour enough, damn it. And, and that, that's where I, that's, that leads to my next sample. Um, okay. I agree with you that ultimately it is not riff-based music. I will concede that in advance. And what I have to say, I'm going to get back to that. Okay. Um, but I'm still going to hold the riffs against it. Um, and so we get to... Uh, here, here's my next sample where I really harp on the post-black thing. Um, uh, we're going to do... I'm going to do short... Try to get through two short ones in quick, relatively quick succession and then, you know, step back a bit. But um, um, here is the... Uh, or wait, I yeah, yeah, here's... Okay, so here's... My fir- first one is from the third track of Rifle, Axe, and Blade. Uh, and I've already said what I had to say about the general tendency. So here we go. This is sort of highlighting the post-black, uh, post-black tendency in the riffs. Um.
Okay, so that roof at the end was cool. At the at the very end, right? That has the sudden discontinuity effect. You you do 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 do. That that's the closest to Skronky this guy gets. Yeah, that's that's cool. But it's like even the first one, like the first leads, like it's like I don't even know what to say. But it just like doesn't pass the smell test for post black because it's just like you can't like listen to that with your chick you know it's just like it's just like yeah. yeah it's like high up but it doesn't sound like nice it just sounds like it's sort of just like steely and repetitive and weird it's structured like it's written like post black i think it has a similar problem in that it's um it the the leads proceed this is a good example of a grid written riff which we we're talking about earlier the, yeah. the reef it proceeds down one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, one, two, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, da, 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 da. And what it's done is it's taken a sort of Celtic melodic form, kind of, or, you know, or European, that you get in a lot of post, in, in a lot of pagan black metal, but sort of um, like, taken away the uh, the rhythmic dynamism that gives it motion uh, and power and it takes away the harmonic depth that gives it sort of the, it takes away the texture that gives it uh, depth and weight and uh, and sort of authenticity and it it also sort of takes away any kind of um, accompanying thing that could justify it um, or or even a way of playing that could justify it. It's not being played in some particularly crazy way and there's not like some really interesting thing happening under it or some really powerful thing. It's just baseline doubling it basically. I, I, I think that if that was played in a swung 6-8 you would like it. I mean literally are you kidding no that's a scrap floor riff that's like a really basic and he does it later in the record with Graveland riffs it's the same he does that to Graveland riffs I maybe should have sampled that part but it's a you can hear the same get mapped onto that grid it's the root notes or the basic form or the basic framework for a riff. Um, and oh, that's what I like about it, though. No, it's not the Ur riff. <laughs> it's not the Ur riff. It just, it's like that Hate Forest riff that you liked that was just a scale. Yeah, um, I, 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 like, I like the gestural riffs that you hate. I like ones that are just like the outline of a form. And it's like you can just kind of like... Fuck it, I, I don't know, fill these, it in yourself. <laughs> see, this isn't, it doesn't have the distinctness to be a form. It's not, I would say this is a, what this is is a category. It's not a, form, a concrete real form, it's a category. This is a kind of riff um, that, that you could, it's, it's being approached at second hand in the way that Post Black is. Now, I think this guy does understand the core of this music, but I don't think it's like, it doesn't come through in riffs like that. It's okay. like, I feel strongly negative about riffs like that. Um, <laughs> and the, I mean, I'm getting more heated, not because of, you know, 
I'm just, I mean, arguing with the death metal guy mode. So like, I don't, you know, this is nothing, nothing against this dude who I probably think is really cool and nothing against this record, but like, I'm, I'm being, um, being emphatic about this. It's, um, the, uh, it's like, you can like, you know what I'm, I think I'm, I'm being consistent about the post black thing. You can take the kinds of intervals and general melodies that I like in pagan black metal and do that to it. And I still won't like it. <laughs> um, it's uh, but what it is is a lot like Runespell, who you might like because they do. Yeah, I've exactly. never listened to them. I find Runespell infuriating because it's all like that. Um, and the uh, but at least last time I checked. Um, but so th- there, there's there it is there. And if if people think I'm sorry, uh, if people think I'm sort of dilute, you know, I actually. I was gonna belay I was gonna do another quick sample just to show another one to people. Uh, I don't have much more to say about it, but I, I want to just do this this thirty second thing so sure. that people know I'm not just making this up. Basically, he does some Gravelandy riffs at the beginning of the song that are written in the same highly regular rhythmic way, highly regularly spaced way, and that use just scale pentatonic scale kind of phrases in them. And then at the end of the song, he does a, a, there's all sorts of skillful structural stuff happening. He revisits that as a blast riff that's slightly different. That's a cool idea. But the riff that comes out is about the epitome of a kind of gridded or post-blacky riff. Um, This is uh, in the last track, Freedom Through Perdition. say about that riff is there's a riff there but it's not manifest yet i'm like i i get what you're saying i think that there's also something that we're also observing though as we compare these riffs is, is there's a meta structural conceit that's happening in a lot of these riffs where they're using like specific like fragments of phrases over and over again through the album that that is like a constant thing that's revisited, like maybe on every song, you know, it's a, a fixation, you know. Da, 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 da. Okay. Yeah. That's kind of like an Arvon Dilly phrase too. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, I feel like they're like alternating a one, a root and a fifth is a perfectly acceptable way, like a tried and true way of launching a pagan black metal riff. Right. Or whatever. Right. But um, you can do it. But then the thing that happens at the end is this turnaround that's all over the record that comes off just like a da 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 it's not exactly a scale but it sounds like a scale as it's delivered and the whole thing is just it's metronomically tied to quarter notes without having a you know you can obviously do that in a sort of inhuman and robotic industrial way that's cool but the plane isn't really gesturing at that. And this music is generally trying to get something more organic. It just, it feels to me, as you said, as, as a good thing about the music, it feels labored in, mm-hmm. in a way that it, 
it just it, it shouldn't and I, I I hear the the heaviness of the labored laboredness of it in in the more drawn out doomy riffs that he does even mm-hmm. if they're blasted under them I hear more of that there that's fair I I, I think that um yeah I think that part of what we're running into is also that I have this odd appreciation for the grid riff um just like as a structural form that you don't and I I've got like I've got like a whole idea of like why I like it so much and it has something to do with like black metal fully jettisoning itself like totally away from rock music because it like it has none of the like swing and vigor of rock music you know it it, like completely detaches from its heavy metal origins and of course we've also talked about how going back to the rock music is cool but anyway this is kind of an aside that's just an idea i have about these grid riffs um yeah i don't know i I think a lot of this might come okay well let's go to something that i know you will like how about that and i do like it (laughs) yes let's go to uh you know all the pagan shit is this hereth uh yeah although honestly i maybe i should know what that is i don't yeah, I was about to say, I figured that would be, like, something you would know, because I don't know any of the, like, pagan stuff. Um, so, this last song... Last I remembered, I think it was the name of a um, chill beats to study and relax to band that kept popping up in YouTube or Bandcamp recommended. <laughs> Seriously? Um, but, like, yeah, but that's that's nothing to say about... I, I think that, like, whatever source material, I have no idea. Somebody, somebody just thought that was a cool name. Probably, right? yeah. It's, but that's the only place I've heard it. But it would make sense that they're drawing from some sort of pagan lore. That yeah. I don't know. So anyway, um, this this uh, song rules, and the opening riff is one of the coolest things ever because I find this whole record to just be like hard as fuck, and this is an insanely tough opening riff that he just hangs out on for a long time. Um, and that's like an aspect of this album that I really like is like even during its like dreamy sections, I don't know, I perceive this stuff with a sort of like in the same way that like Devil Groth from a couple years ago had that like granite and like frost hardness to it. This has like a wood like hardness to it. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. all of this just this is all just like wood chopping music. You know, it's it's incredibly cold, but it's not snowing, and you're just a lot of these just feel like work songs to me, and like all the individual riffs don't really matter. They're just they're just providing for a process. Like something is supposed to be going on. You're not supposed to be just listening to this record. You're supposed to be listening to this record while doing something hard as fuck. You know? So let's listen to let's listen to Hereth and just listen to like the, the fucking hardest riff of 2023. <laughs>
so so I think that like that opening riff there is sort of an example of the the phenomena that you're talking about this you know being like purely just like the idea of a riff but in that it has tremendous power like any additional adornment on that riff would make it a weaker riff Hmm. yeah so let me let me listen to it again so i mean well i think one thing that makes it work is it's played on power chords Mm -hmm. a lot of these leads that i have a problem with one way you could say is that they, they are they sound like the basic outlines of rhythm guitar but they're being foreground that would be fleshed out in a various way but they're being foregrounded as leads i think and that's i think that's a production issue i think there's a, like a kind of a guitar balance problem and the leads are like really smashing over the rhythm layers on this and some some eqing there would probably improve that situation a lot i would say that just sounds like a really good power chord riff and yeah it's minimal but to me it doesn't sound like it doesn't have the same um, emptiness as the others it sounds that's just very simple and earthy. It it uh is just a, and I guess it maybe helps the sort of swaggering delivery. In yeah, it. and I th- I think that's another situation where we're uh, you know we've got a thing where I I've talked about on a few records this odd intersection of like sort of like primitive pagan black metal and like trad doom stuff mm-hmm. that I've talked about before. That's a situation where that's happening, and I really love it. And I like that the tempo is at the exact tempo for a two-man team pounding railroad spikes in mm-hmm. in the 1800s. <laughs> yeah. And and I like that um, based on the pictures on Metal Archives, uh, the guy behind this band is like jacked as fuck, which, which I'd like to say doesn't mean anything except that it means absolutely everything, you know? <laughs> well, for, for sure. Well, I think there's a lot of I think that if there's a lot of parts where eventually he does introduce a power chord thing under the lead and they're maybe not, they may not always be literally power chords, but it's something like that. And it always adds a a huge additional dimension to the music. And very often there's this kind of, uh, this strategy of um, build and climax that is in post black, which is you pay the play the link for a long lead for a long time, and then you drop in something under it. Mm-hmm. Um, you, just, you could do less of that and instantly solve a lot of this, right? Uh, like it just the leads are perfect. You could use the leads as textural material along with this heavy, as you say, woody. There's a really nice the woody tone emerges on the low end. Mm-hmm. Um, and it sounds great. Uh, and, you know, if, if the focus was on that, right, there's also a really nice rumbling bass tone. And I believe the main guy plays bass live. But if you had mo- more of that there, I think I, I think I would like this a lot better. It might partly be production. Um, also, I want to say at the end of it, you have... At the end of that whole sample, you've got something where I'd say, okay, that's simple, but it's an ur riff. That has life in it. So at the end you get at, at the end you get dum down right? 
that, that do, 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 do. that's obviously a phrase we've heard in like thousands of pagan yeah. light metal songs and also like in as you say doom or old school heavy metal songs mm-hmm. it's right? an infinite I mean, phrase yeah is that in like Layla or something like it's like you know clap it, 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 it goes back forever yeah yeah um uh the um it's uh but it introduces a bit of more distinctly minor tonality there which i think really helps just in the half step um and that sounds dis- that sounds okay that's a simple elemental root phrase but it's a folk phrase i hear that there um and also the the thing that he also does that that makes it is the inflection in the plane as opposed to do 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 da 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 there's it's not just that it's in six it's that it's the it's the swing in, mm-hmm. in definition in the plane but and it's also the timbral variation because it's the end it's not just that's not asked to carry all the weight it's the finishing phrase of a longer riff which is dong, dang, 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 dang. very simple, but it's a riff with three different textures in it, and I think this guy gets a lot of mileage from the texture. Um, yeah, I think I think this is thinking about this like this is a situation for me where the record is carried by like a juxtaposition of aesthetics that I love, you know, just because like like so many of the things mentioned like in the uh, uh, you know, the, the influences are things that I'm really passionate about. You know, Black Salise is something that I've, I'm really in love with. So that sort of like thin, clattering, raw stuff, you know, juxtaposed with this very woody, swaggering power chord stuff is just, you know, it's fucking catnip to me. <laughs> For sure. Well, here, I, I've, you know, I've, I've criticized this enough. Now I want to play... I, I think you're right, basically, that it isn't riff-based music. And that the total record still stands, right? I can still listen to this front to back and 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 enjoy it. And it's it's because of those tremendously heavy moments, like the one you just played, uh, and that sort of doom-like uh, seismic scale uh, to it in the transitions. Um, and I don't know, like I just wanted to play a part I really like. Uh, this is more uh, from the from the edge of woodland temple so this track you already sampled but it's from the end and here he's doing another uh another kind of um using another technique that i think gets a lot of mileage here and i'd love to hear more of
there is really cool arpeggiated stuff. Mm-hmm. And there he's drawing on that sort of stock language of pagan black and old school heavy metal, right? That could be like maiden licks. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, and, and doing it in a really cool way. And there you have some of the intense regularity that I don't like about some of the, about some of the other riffs. But there it's a strength because it's this, this continuous movement of this rapid fire movement of the arpeggios. Uh, and yeah, it's definitely one of the most ornate parts of the album. Right, which is crazy because it's extremely simple. Yeah. Right? yeah. Uh, it's and 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 it also is this cool it winds up and then releases in a cool way uh dude and it also gets a lot of its power from its interaction with the rhythm part and i think when he goes into blast beat trem mode a lot of that interaction goes away uh but here the movement with the swaggering bass and i think an underlying rhythm part is is really neat they sort of mesh and slide across each other well uh and it feels propulsive rather than sort of the other stuff feels kind of static. This is, um, and it feels propulsive even though it's slow. Uh, and this reminds me of Arvondil for sure. There are a lot of these great arpeggiated parts all over that first record, but also of another band who, you know, we rarely get occasion to mention, which is Pagan Hellfire. Mm, um, and I think that is definitely something, maybe he's already digs Pagan Hellfire. Uh, That's something he, if 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 you want to stick with the highly lead focused aesthetic, um, while also making just um, sort of wild and powerful pagan melodies, I think Pagan Hellfire would be a great a great reference point. Um, and there's a spiritual similarity there. Yeah, this record makes me want to lift, but like not in a gym. I'm just gonna go find a big rock and pick it up a bunch 